Welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic, and this is Father John Arnold. So why do we celebrate Easter in the spring? You know, if you consider that 2,000 years have passed uh, since the birth of Christ, and that our calendars try to keep up with time uh, and try to keep up with the seasons, that what is kind of missing there for our understanding is how much calendars are rooted in the season, you know, especially the planting season, the harvesting season. You know, if calendars were not adjusted, um, then we would just be planting when I guess astronomers would tell us the optimal time to plant was, which is not much further beyond where all calendars first came from, which is astrologers in what is modern day Iraq, uh, which would back then was the old Babylon kingdom. Uh, but that the calendar is rooted in uh, the solar, uh, the solar day, how long it takes us to go around the sun. But you probably know that the Jewish calendar was not a solar calendar. It was a lunar calendar. And so when it comes to uh, deciding when Easter is, we follow the Jewish calendar, not the Gregorian calendar. That is the calendar that you pick up at St. Mark's, which always has the feast days of the saints on it because it was part of the Gregorian reform of the calendar. Uh, unlike fixed annual holidays, um, which follow the solar calendar, Easter falls on the first Sunday after the first full moon following the spring equinox. And so if you look out on Easter night, it's going to be a full moon, has been all this week. Uh, that can be any time between March 22nd and April 25th as we follow it compared to the Gregorian calendar, you might know that the Orthodox celebrate Easter on a different day. They celebrate it and it can fall anywhere between April 4 and May 8th, which means that it could possibly be after our celebration of Easter. Why is that? Because at the time that Christianity grew in the first century, it was the Julian calendar that everybody used the reason there was a Gregorian reform was that the Julian calendar had started to get out of sync with nature. It didn't tell farmers, uh, give them the reliable information on when to plant. And although Pope Gregory was the person behind founding the Vatican Observatory for the purpose of reforming the calendar, since there was already a split between the Latin West and the Greek-speaking East, partly it was a cultural thing that the Orthodox decided they didn't need any newfangled Western uh, contraptions like the Gregorian calendar. The Julian calendar was plenty good for them. Interestingly enough, uh, the East in general, the, the secular states, the theocratic states, they all follow the Gregorian calendar, except the Orthodox who decide all of their feast days based on the Julian calendar. But the key thing is, it's, it's always around the full moon. It's just when, where the full moon falls in relationship to either the Gregorian or the Julian calendar. That's why Latins and Greeks celebrate different days of Easter. And it's been like that for one reason or another since the early days of the church. It was one of the first arguments between Rome uh, and the Eastern Fathers. But what's essential 
is often, and I would say always, much more important uh, than of these different calendars. And that's that the idea is that Easter is rooted in cosmic order. It follows nature. Otherwise, what would we be doing? Uh, historians would be trying to figure out the exact day that Jesus died on. When was Pal Passover in the year 30 or the year 33, depending on when you think Jesus actually died? And what would that equivalent day be now? Well, it would probably be different um, because man-made time is out of sync with cosmological time. It's really just an allegory of human beings being out of sync with creation. You know, I've been listening to a wonderful book, The Platonic Tradition by Dr. Peter Kreeft. He's, everything he writes is good. Uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful philosopher from Boston College. Um, but what he said was that the big difference in people's philosophies of life, and everybody has a philosophy of life, it's whether you believe that reality signifies something or rather reality has no signification or significance at all. The difference between whether you think that the beauty of nature and the power of the love that you can share with others points to divine love, or on the other hand, whether or not your life has no more significance than a bottle of aspirin. As we know in America, both of those things are present. But the resurrection is a rebuke to all of those who would use nature, absence, the presence of nature's God. Because so much of Easter and the Easter vigil is rooted in nature, not just the date that we celebrate it, but also in the sacred texts that we read as we understand God's intervention in the world. So let's turn to all the scriptures that are gonna be read during the Paschal Triduum and ask, you know, what links them together? Why did the church choose these scriptures? I'll be back in a moment. Um, recently, uh, from a private collection, a rare medieval uh, manuscript came up. It was actually um, part of the Office of the Readings and the breviary that uh, uh, clerics would use prior to the Reformation. And in it was a cipher, like a, a, an equation for how it is that when you figure out Easter, because the point of for, for monks and uh, other committed religious uh, to try to keep on track uh, with the whole church when we were celebrating particular liturgies. Because whether or not, like in the old days, they probably did not print out calendars that you would take home and pin up next to the refrigerator. You really relied on the village uh, priest and you knew uh, what was happening when you, when you celebrated days about the harvest that were celebrated in church or the days about planting where you prayed for a, a good harvest. Um, the rhythm of life in the Middle Ages and before, after late Christian, at late ancient Roman antiquity, um, really revolved around parish churches uh, and their ability to keep time. I mean, you knew it was uh, the uh, winter uh, solstice uh, when Christmas was celebrated because you knew that was the day why they celebrated Christmas on that day. And you knew spring had basically supposed to have come when, um, when Easter was being celebrated. 
when nature makes everything new. Um, but one of the key things about um, the uh, understanding of the church as practice rooted in nature is that the church's scriptures are rooted in nature. And so let's just talk briefly about uh, what the readings would be if you went to all the liturgies during the Paschal Triduum. Now, the Paschal Triduum are the three days. Um, it would be Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. And then uh, Easter season begins at sundown on Holy Saturday, and that's when the Easter Vigil is celebrated. Uh, but we're into the next season celebrating the resurrection. But the Paschal Triduum is essentially one event. If you went to Mass on Holy Thursday evening where the priest washes the feet of, uh, of 12 people from the parish, and we remember that Jesus left us the sacrament of the universe, of the, universe the sacrament of the Eucharist, uh, which signifies the crucifixion, which wouldn't happen till after um, uh, that feast had happened, and either three days after, according to John, I think it is, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke say it would have been the next day that they rushed it through. But in either event, the sacrament predates and points towards the meaning of the sacrifice on the cross. And then as we go through the Easter season, uh, we realize that after Jesus goes and we remember his passion and we reverence the cross on Good Friday, there is no mass on Holy Saturday until you get to the Easter Vigil in the evening. And interestingly, Holy Thursday Mass does not end with a final blessing. It ends with a Eucharistic procession and then adoration of the Eucharist in, at midnight to midnight in our parish. Um, and then the final blessing, closing the Paschal Triduum, isn't given until the end of the Easter Vigil. And it reminds us that the Eucharist, the passion and death of the Lord, and the resurrection are one event. Um, that all of this is uh, what we experience in our baptism. And so you would expect at Holy Thursday that you're gonna hear about the Eucharist, which you will, which would be whatever selection they choose, uh, the, the, the liturgists in the church choose. And then Good Friday, you're always gonna have the passion of John read at three o'clock, you'll always have the adoration, and then a communion service. Interestingly, the Good Friday service where the Eucharistic prayer is not said, because Mass from Holy Thursday hasn't ended yet, it's just an extension of communion into Good Friday. That's called the Liturgy of the Pre-Sanctified Gifts, because the gifts, the bread, uh, which has become the body of Christ, was sanctified the previous day, consecrated the previous day. And that's an ancient tradition of the church. And I think it goes back to the fathers of the church um, because of the recognition that this three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, are one event, and that understanding Jesus' the Last Supper, his arrest and his torture and his crucifixion and his resurrection, this is all in uh, the Mass, which is both a participation in the sacrifice of the cross and also a participation in the presence of the resurrected Christ. Um, because both are present in the liturgy. The Protestant Reformation just disconnected from that. 
And what I always say about our Protestant brothers and sisters is there is saving power whenever you encounter the real Christ. Baptism, when you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is valid baptism. They are as Christian as we are. What is lacking there is a privation, and the privation is the fullness of the faith. And that is at the heart of it, the Paschal mystery and the proper understanding of the Paschal mystery. So it shouldn't surprise you that uh, the Easter vigil, the church in the first parts of the readings, the first seven readings, recounts the history of God, revelation to human being in words and deeds, all recounted faithfully in the scriptures by our Jewish brothers and sisters. And so for time's sake, our parish, like so many parishes, chooses three readings, generally about the six days of creation, the crossing of the Red Sea, and then something from one of the prophets. And then always, uh, it's gonna be the gospel from the resurrection. And so this year, since we're in year A, we'll be reading the story of the resurrection from Matthew at the Easter Vigil. But think about if we had done those seven readings, what do those seven readings recall? Mass would last three hours if we did that. Um, and so we just, like I say, uh, to a, a shorter version of it. So the first reading would be the six days of creation because everything starts in God's creative intent. And on the first day, he creates light, right? But it's not the light that comes from the stars and the suns and the moon. I've said this before. It's wisdom. And so when John's gospel starts in John chapter 1, verse 1, that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The logos, which is the Greek word, is a very important Greek word. John chose it for a reason because in Greek usage, it meant reasoning, philosophy, significance, that the entire reality of creation and God, the, the God of creation became present when Christ took on human flesh. And so we can truly say, truly God, truly man, and we look upon the face of Christ, his holy face, that novena that we did, we are looking on the face of God, and it is a, a God that has been much hurt, uh, although God doesn't have feelings, I guess, but um, very offensive how human beings treat God. But God, responds with mercy and compassion. He's the same God that in his wisdom brought all this into being. Why does God permit all of this? Um, I think the best answer we have is that it's that God wants us to freely choose to love him. And if we choose not to love him, well, God loves us enough to let us go our own way. And so what God wants is fidelity. So the second reading is from Genesis 22, and it's the story of when Abraham is called by God to sacrifice Isaac. At one level, it's a story where God, where God says Isaac is supposed to be sacrificed and Abraham obeys and is gonna cut his own son's throat. It's called Akedah in the, in the Hebrew tradition. It seems this inexplicable story. At one level, it's an etiological story, which means it explains why Jewish people are not supposed to sacrifice their children, why abortion is wrong. God does not call us to kill our children. He did not 
call Abraham ultimately to kill Isaac. He was going to make a substitution um, for that instinct, uh, which in us does not trust the future, apparently. Uh, and as we know, he would offer his own son. And so if on the first reading about the six days of creation, the gospel equivalent from the New Testament is the resurrection, because remember, the resurrection happens on Sunday. The seventh day of the week is Saturday, which is the Sabbath holy to the Jewish people. Jesus does not rise till the eighth day, which is the beginning of the next week. And so resurrection, according to St. Paul, is the beginning of the new creation. We live in this overlapping time between the old world and the new. The new world, the kingdom of God has not completely come and the old world has not completely uh, subsided yet. And so we live this life of grace, um, but it's in the midst of a decaying and collapsing creation. And in the midst of that, even knowing that, this creation is going away. God calls us to trust on him and to love and, present, uh, and protect our children. And what he does is he sends his own son to die on Calvary because it's the crucifixion, which is the substitutionary sacrifice uh, for Abraham. God provides his own son. Then the next reading is from Exodus 14. It's about the crossing of the Red Sea. And it's the famous story where Moses crosses the Red Sea, but the Red Sea closes in on Pharaoh's army as chariots and charioteers, uh, and uh, all of Israel's enemies are destroyed. At one level, it's the story of how God frees his people from slavery in Egypt. At another level, it's always read as a precursor to the meaning of baptism, where sin and the power of evil for us is swallowed up in the waters of Christ's victory because Paul will talk about crucifixion in his reading, the second, the first reading from the, from the New Testament, um, which is Romans 6, where he says, uh, when, you are when you are baptized with, into Christ, you're baptized into his death and his burial. You're immersion in the waters of baptism, which can be symbolic with water poured on that little baby's head, is to go down into the grave with him that you might rise with him to newness of life. And so it's in union with Jesus, that human connection where we sink, not just with nature, but nature renewed in the resurrected body of Christ. Is uh, Christianity is a nature religion, but it's about nature perfected by the grace of God. And so when we die, we are freed from sin. Well, we can't sin anymore. But boy, if uh, the fires are constantly burning for sin, even after we die, uh, they can never be satisfied. It's why Jesus refers to hell as where the fires aren't extinguished and the worm doesn't die. And so in baptism, we die to this world to, this world to be alive to the next. And that's all prefigured in the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. And then we turn to prophets. Two by Isaiah, one by Baruch, and one by Ezekiel. And so in Isaiah 54, we talk about Christ as the divine bridegroom. You remember that's picked up in the Gospel of John, where it kicks off with Jesus being the bridegroom at the wedding at Cana, where he, where he uh, turns water into wine. 
It's, uh, if he can turn water into wine, he can turn wine into his own body, as St. Augustine pointed out. And St. John the Baptist refers to Jesus as the divine bridegroom in a wedding with his church, which is consummated on the cross. Uh, the divine bridegroom gives his life for the bride. And then Isaiah 55, which is about a feast of water, grain, and wine, and it prefigures the Eucharistic feast. And you know, that I, I suppose Jesus could have done a lot of things, but to, to choose water and wine is to choose the one meal that Adam and Eve were permitted to eat before their fall in the Garden of Eden. If you remember, God gave them the order that they could eat um, the fruit of any seed-bearing fruit and could eat uh, any seed-bearing plant. And so that would be the grape and that would be um, wheat where we get water and wine. And so the Eucharistic feast, even in Isaiah's prophetic statement, takes the book of Genesis and brings it into the New Testament. And then we turn to Baruch, who was um, the prophet Jeremiah's secretary, but continued his work even after um, the prophet Jeremiah uh, died in Egypt. And he talked about how wisdom came down amongst his people um, and that wisdom would come and dwell with the people. Even though the temple had been destroyed by Baruch's time, wisdom itself would come and dwell and travel with the people just like God had been in the tabernacle as the people went through the desert. It's why, again, um, John's gospel talks about Jesus as uh, divine wisdom, the logos, which is another word for wisdom. Also, uh, the word Sophia, if you have a daughter named Sophia, is the word for wisdom. But uh, John picked one word uh, in his gospel, which operates on so many different levels. And then the final prophet, prophetic reading would be from Ezekiel from the time of the Babylonian uh, exile. Uh, and he was talking about how God would come and sprinkle water on his people and create in them a clean heart, a new heart. Because the Easter vigil is the celebration of baptism. It's the key thing that happens at the Easter vigil. People are converted. It's why I earlier said that elements of salvation are in all the Christian religions. Uh, what's lacking is the fullness of the experience of the faith that we have in union um, with Peter's successor in Rome. But baptism is the key sacrament uh, that brings us all into the death and the resurrection of Christ. You know, Father Serge, who's visiting us this week, was brought up a Baptist, and he says, you know, the Baptists don't believe that baptism does anything. They, uh, some Baptists call it an ordinance, and it's just something they do out of respect for God. But the reality is it's something that God's doing for us, and it's the Old Testament that's made present in the sacrament of baptism. And so finally, uh, at the Easter Vigil, um, after listening to the story of God's interaction uh, with the people in words and deeds, revealing his saving uh, work, um, we arrive at the story of the resurrection. You know, I've always pointed out, and I, I know that you already know this, but to just think about the justice of God. If the fall came in through a woman, and partly it's a story that, you know, women have been treated badly through history, 
Mostly they're 20 to 30% smaller than men. They've been, you know, St. Augustine talks about the libido dominandi, um, the women and men striving to dominate each other is at you know, the heart of the experience of the sin of the fall in chapter three in the book of Genesis. And so when Jesus elevates um, woman, uh, both by taking on his own flesh in the womb of his blessed mother, our, our blessed lady Mary, but also that in all four gospels, it's a woman that comes and becomes the apostle of the resurrection where Eve led her husband into sin. Um, the woman that comes to the graveyard and finds the empty tomb and the risen Christ leads the apostles to faith. Uh, who could have figured that turnaround? I mean, not to get why that's a wow moment, that the resurrection uh, is powerful but that it's used to heal the deep, deep wounds in all of humanity. And so, as I said, it's on the first day of the week because the resurrection is about recreated nature. So here we are, we and the Orthodox, how broken the church is, Catholics and Protestants, Catholics and Orthodox, and we just seem to have all of these things that separate us, but not the essentials. The essentials is to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. To come, to be called with, whether you come or not, to the Eucharistic table. To experience the power of the Holy Spirit and the sacrament of confirmation uh, when we are transformed in God's very presence and spirit. And so the readings, um, wonderful to read through. The story that's told is the story of Scripture. It's about the redemption, not just of human beings, but of all of nature. Because in baptism, God uses nature to redeem us and then asks us to be good stewards of nature by how we love him and love our neighbor and care for the natural world. So let's take a moment and we'll come to the exciting conclusion of this Easter podcast. And so Easter, it's the revelation of nature and nature's God and God's intent for nature. How God is taking a fallen world and bringing it into union with himself. And the great sign of that, the door that leads out of what's to others seems like a closed system. To the door that leads out of that is baptism. And that's the reading on Easter Sunday from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, are you unaware that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were indeed buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life. For if we have grown into union with him through a death like his, we shall also be united with him in the resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him, so that our sinful body might be done away with, that we might no longer be in slavery to sin. So St. Paul, who is the most Jewish of Jewish Pharisees, knew the Old Testament well. 
He knew the story of the creation. He knew the story of Pharaoh and the Red Sea. He knew the story of Abraham trying to sacrifice his son Isaac, but a substitutionary sacrifice was offered. And we know that to be the Son of God, Christ Jesus. He knew the prophets, Isaiah and Baruch and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And he understood that the life of Christ was the fulfillment of all the hopes of the Jewish people over millennia. And so we Christians, who St. Paul says in the letter of Romans, are like wild shoots grafted to a domestic olive tree. We too have our hope in the resurrection. And so, how, what is Easter? Easter is a celebration that always takes place in springtime. It's when, in God's seasons, life begins again after what's been kind of an unusual winter for all of us. And so this Easter, a beautiful sign of what God has in store for his people. And so as you reflect on these great Easter mysteries and your participation and the participation of those that you love, the overwhelming grace of our God, I wish you a wonderful Easter, a holy Easter, and a safe passage to the face of God the Father. This has been another edition of Oral Valley Catholic. Happy Easter.